Uh, our scripture today comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, and out of reverence for the gospel word, this morning I invite you to stand for the reading. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm grateful to Andrew for our scripture reading this morning, and I'm grateful for our youth choir and chancel choir for leading us in that beautiful music for worship this morning. I think that's going to be my mantra. Some nights where I'm up late with the baby, God's grace will lead us through. (laughs) Um, Well, I appreciate y'all's support, and uh, just as a moment, a selfish moment of privilege up here since I'm at the pulpit, please just be in prayer for Caroline and I as we just enter this new journey of becoming parents, and uh, I just covet your prayers and support during that time, and I really appreciate this congregation and the staff here at the church. Uh, But enough about me. We're uh, in a series here at Noonan First where we're talking about faith and what having faith means for us. Last week, if you were here, you remember Andrew gave a great sermon about talking about what faith is not. The necessary process we go through of deconstructing and getting to the essentials of what faith is for us. And this week, we're going to be looking at what faith is. How do we understand the word faith and what it means for our lives? And y'all, I'm just going to make it real easy for you right up here at the front of the sermon. I'm just going to tell you the short, sweet definition. It's only three words. And this definition comes from a guy named Paul Tillich. And if you haven't heard of Paul Tillich, he's this theological genius from the mid-1900s. And he wrote an important book called Dynamics of Faith that uh, you'll hear Andrew and I reference occasionally. And in this book, he writes this definition of faith. And if you have a pen or you want to take a pew pen, I would encourage you to write this down. It's just three words. Faith is our ultimate concern. Our ultimate concern. Ultimate meaning final, above all else. And concern meaning the center of our focus and attention. Faith is our ultimate concern. In other words, it's the most important thing that we are focusing our lives on. That is faith. And Paul Tillich says this, whether you realize it or not, everybody has faith in something. Because everybody has this ultimate concern, this thing that they're putting at the center of their life. And this ultimate concern can either destroy us or it can heal us. But we can never be without it. You can be an atheist and not believe in God, but you're still putting your faith in something while you live. You're centering your life around your family or your job or your security or your nation. Something is the focal point of your faith. And because having faith involves following one thing or another, it means we take a risk. It's orienting our lives around something in a way that risks our future or our resources or our health. 
And Andrew shared a great example of what this looks like last week. He, he shared with us the time in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life when he and his family were threatened during the Montgomery bus boycott. And this was a very real threat to his life, his loved ones, and his security. But through prayer, he discerned that he would proceed with faith in God for the pursuit of truth and justice for all of God's people. He chose to let faithfulness to God and God's kingdom be at the center of that decision rather than his own security. That's where he put his faith, God's kingdom. So faith is our ultimate concern, and that means whatever we are making our decisions around, whatever our life and our schedule and our habits are orbiting in our system of life, that's the thing we're putting our faith in. Does that make sense? Maybe it'll help if I share another example of what I mean. And for this, I want to take a journey back in church history, because I know nothing gets us more excited than religion and history. So I just want to get your blood pumping this morning. Well, but this is exciting and important. In the year 312 CE, about 300 years after Jesus' resurrection, something happened that would change Christianity forever. There was a great Roman emperor named Constantine, and he was preparing for a crucial battle against a rebellion. And he was outnumbered, and things were looking dire. But just before the battle, he had this vision of the cross in the sky, and he, he heard these words of assurance that he would be victorious and he would be protected. And after having this vision, Constantine's army defeated these rebels, which cemented his power over the Roman Empire for the next 25 years. And publicly, after this moment, Constantine had a conversion experience to Christianity. It was the first time a Roman emperor had ever done that. He adopted the Cairo as a symbol for his armies. He passed laws that ensured tolerance for Christians and he even commissioned the construction of great cathedrals. And you can see the ruins of those still today. And in church history, this is such a big deal, they gave it a name. It's called the Constantinian Shift. This marks a moment in history where Christianity went from being this grassroots movement to suddenly being connected with an empire. But the funny thing about all this is that when Constantine had this vision, had this battle, and then had this conversion experience. Right after, he went to be baptized, and he was all excited. <laughs> and the priests were explaining to him what baptism meant. You're going, uh, your old life's going to die, and you're going to be born again, Constantine. You'll have to give up your wealth, they said. Seek to love your neighbors and even your enemies. You can no longer kill. And you need to live to serve, to lift up the poor and the oppressed. Well, Constantine heard all of that. And he said, well, on second thought, <laughs> I'm not going to make any of those changes. Uh, tell you what, I'll wait until I'm on my deathbed and you can baptize me then. And that way I'll live my life however I want. And then I'll still get into heaven. He treated baptism and discipleship like it was this optional add-on, like an extended warranty on his life. Yes, he said, I'll claim it in name, but I'll live my life how I want and come back to this Christianity thing eventually. The way he was approaching discipleship required nothing of him, no change, no repentance. Instead of putting his faith in Christ, he could just keep it in his empire. For Constantine, that was his ultimate concern, and that's where he tried to find fulfillment and joy and meaning. But friends, I can tell you with certainty that he did not find it there. Well, it's easy for me to poke fun at somebody uh, from 1,700 years ago. Somebody who was putting their faith in something else while proclaiming Jesus. But if I take an honest look in my life, how often do I notice I'm doing the same thing? 
How often am I saying that I am a Christ follower, but when I look at my calendar for the past few days, there's nothing on it that is distinctly Christian? How often am I so intent on serving my family or my finances or my interests without setting aside any time to grow as a disciple or ask where Jesus is calling me to follow that day? I think without realizing it, sometimes I find that my ultimate concern in my life is not Jesus. And I want you to hear me. I'm very intentional to include myself in what I'm saying because I don't want it to feel like I'm trying to guilt you or hit you with the Bible from the pulpit today. But the truth is, that's kind of what this scripture passage is doing to all of us, especially to people like Constantine. People that claim the title of Christian but treat it like an add-on in their life. It's giving a wake-up call. Uh, Andrew and I both went to Candler School of Theology and one of the preaching professors there in Atlanta his name's Ted Smith, and uh, he, what he loved about this passage was it really points out the different ways that we approach Christianity versus what Jesus is asking, and he, he said a lot of times, we'll look at it like, well, I've got fourth Sundays free, fourth Mondays. Is everybody good for fourth Mondays? I think I can squeeze it in. <laughs> but that's so different than what Jesus is asking us to do. And he points out in the scripture reading today, you'll notice the NRSV translation says, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. But a more accurate translation, he points out, is I will make you become fishers of people. Jesus isn't just asking us to add a task into our lives to be a Christian. He is asking us to transform our identity to be Christians, to put him at the center. When you take in the full scope of our scripture reading today, one thing is evident A partial call to follow Christ is not something that Mark is interested in. Everything about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is urgent. Time is up. The kingdom of God has come near. Change your life right now and believe the good news immediately. There is no time to lose. Immediately. And we see Jesus call the disciples, first Simon and Andrew, then James and John, and he says, follow me. And immediately, it tells us, they drop their nets and follow Jesus We don't hear them ask a question or say, sure, but I've got two more hauls of fish to bring in and my kid's baseball practice tonight, so I'll meet you in the morning over brunch. Immediately, they follow. And it feels abrupt and short, and honestly, it feels a little unrealistic. After all, there are so many questions that pop into my head about Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Weren't they at all concerned about leaving their coworkers in the lurch that day? James and John, the scripture tells us, left their father Zebedee standing right there on the shore. Did they live with him? Was he expecting them to take over the family business? Were any of these disciples married with kids? And what did that conversation look like with their families? But frustratingly, Mark doesn't answer any of those questions. He just shakes us and says louder, immediately, right now, what don't you understand about immediately? This is important. If I had to describe this call story with an adjective, I would call it rude. (laughs) We sometimes forget that Jesus could often be impolite and very direct. Gary Charles, he was a Presbyterian pastor at Central Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, and he gave a sermon on this passage, and in that sermon he said, the Jesus whom preachers and congregations meet in Mark bears little resemblance to the civic Jesus of my childhood. 
He's not looking for allegiance or amazement. He's looking to turn us around, to shake us up, to make us become fishers for people adrift in a sea of casual faith or no faith at all. He's not looking for us to make a decision to follow him eventually when the time is right, when we have more information, when the economy's better, when the children are older, or when we're nearing retirement. Immediately. This passage isn't interested in hearing about my calendar or my obligations. It's only concerned with the good news. Jesus is here now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe immediately. It doesn't exactly make you feel warm and fuzzy. And in fact, if I'm being honest, it makes me really uncomfortable. This call story is impolite, startling, and leaves no wiggle room. But it is also extremely convicting. It demands of us, as the hearers of the word, a response right now, immediately, is following Jesus your ultimate concern today? And if you say yes, then drop your net and follow him. And why now? Why is this so urgent, Jesus? Well, it's urgent because if we aren't putting Jesus at the center of our lives, then something else is there instead. And if something is at the center of your life, then that thing is your ultimate concern, and that is where your faith is. And what you put your faith in can heal you, or it could destroy you. One of my favorite books of all time, if you ever have the chance to read it, is C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. And this is a fiction book, and C.S. Lewis is imagining what hell might look like. And in this book, the way he conceives of it, hell is depicted as a great, expanding, gray city. And in this city, anyone who lives there can imagine whatever they want at any moment, and it's given to them. <laughs> Food or money or a new car or a mansion, poof, it's right there, you name it. But despite this, everyone there is completely miserable. And the most interesting part about it is everyone is there by choice. There is a bus that runs through on a regular schedule, and the bus takes anyone who wants to up to heaven. But in order to experience that heaven, folks have to let go of the idols that they have been putting their faith in. And in the book, we see people who hear God's invitation but choose instead to cling to that object of their faith that is apart from Jesus. One was an addict who was putting his faith in the source of comfort, the substance that he knew. One was a mother putting her faith in her child in a way that had become unhealthy and over-dependent. And one was a great conqueror, putting his faith in his own might and ability. And he was far away in a mansion, pacing back and forth, trying to strategize and conceive his own way into eternal paradise. And each of these people had put their faith in something, and that something had destroyed them, not healed them. None of these objects delivered the joy or fulfillment that fills the deep need that you and I know all too well. And they had before them a constant invitation to new life, joy, infinite happiness and fulfillment in God's kingdom, but they continued to center their lives on something else. And C.S. Lewis sums it all up with one powerful quote. He says, there is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. The kingdom of God must be our ultimate concern, and there is no time to lose. But friends, the good news is that this is both easier and a little bit more difficult than it sounds. 
You may look at our scripture reading today and see this moment of sure faith that the disciples have where they exemplify what it means to drop everything and follow Jesus into the unknown. And you may see that and think, I wish I could do that. I wish I had faith like that. But I want you to remember what happens when you keep reading Mark's gospel. These same disciples make so many mistakes. Asking Jesus the wrong questions, judging others, arguing about which one of them is the greatest, falling asleep when Jesus needed them most, denying that they knew him, and ultimately running away from the empty tomb in fear. And yet, God works great things through them in spite of these mistakes because they continue to put following Jesus back at the center of their lives time and time again, immediately today and immediately again tomorrow and the next day. Having faith in God means exactly that. Our daily decision must be to make Christ our ultimate concern. Today, may God give us the strength to put Jesus at the center, drop our nets, and follow him. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your mercy and grace. And we give you thanks for a creation so beautiful that sometimes it can cause us to idolize it instead of turning to you. Lord, I ask that you just give us courage and wisdom this week to discern what following you means each day. Through your spirit, empower us to keep you at the center of our lives. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.